0: This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Good morning, everyone. For those of you who might not know me, I am the oldest person in the clergy in this congregation, and I consider that a gift. So my name is Ellen Rose, and I'm I'm, uh, so blessed to worship with you this morning. Every Christmas as I join you in making lists and checking them twice and trying not to let the busyness of the season overtake me. I often remember a certain December evening several years ago when I was a chaplain intern at UNC Hospital. I volunteered to work an on-call, for the on-call chaplain that night for a few hours so that she could attend the The Christmas party that the staff was having that night and I thought well gosh this will be a great time for me to finish my Christmas cards and so I took them all in hand and trudged in and sent her on her way and settled in to do my Christmas cards and praying that maybe the buzzer wouldn't go off (laughs) till I could get them done well the buzzer went off and so I rather begrudgingly I must admit put my Christmas cards to the side and went to answer the page. And when I walked into the unit, the nurse said, there's a patient in such and such number, and she wants to see the chaplain. And so I walked in and found her on the phone. And I thought, well, I could have finished my Christmas cards. (laughs) But I waited for her to finish. And as I listened to her conversation, I began to really take a look at this young woman. And I saw how unbeautiful according to contemporary standards of beauty. She might be considered. She had very unkempt, kind of straw-like hair, and she was all gnarled up in her bed and couldn't come out of that position. and, And she had somehow eaten her dinner, and a lot of it was left on her face and on her lips and on her teeth. And I thought, my... And when she finished talking on the phone, I said, Hi, I'm the chaplain. How can I help you? And she said, I need some prayer and I need to talk about what's been going on with me today. So she began to talk about just having had one of many, many um, dialysis treatments that she had had in the hospital and how difficult that was for her. And then she began to tear up and talked about how in a a little bit the doctors would be coming and they would be um, inserting a... A long needle into her abdomen to withdraw fluid and she knew what that was going to be like and she wanted prayer and she wanted strength and so we chatted a little bit more before we prayed and she ta- I asked her about her dreams and she told me that she really hoped that she could go back to school when she was through with this treatment that she wanted to be a counselor I don't know whether she ever was or not but as we began to pray we prayed for strength We prayed that the staff would have wisdom and compassion. We prayed that God would be with her through all of this horrible treatment. And we prayed for healing. And as I got up to leave and started out the door, I heard the most beautiful song I think I've ever heard. And out of the mouth of that young lady came a song that I had never heard, and she sang... When I get to heaven, no one will hinder me. And by the time she finished that song, I realized that I was down on my knees by her bed, and I was a little bit embarrassed by that. I don't even remember going there, but I remember one thing from that experience, and I try to remember it every Christmas, that that night, God put me in that place, not to be a chaplain, but because I needed to hear the beautiful story that that young woman gave me, and God had led her and me to that place in order to share the good message of the Advent season. Today, we're going to read a story about how God led a certain man into Jesus' life. You know, the, the shepherds were put, were out in the fields, and they had seen Jesus And the wise men had seen Jesus, but Mary and Joseph, because they were such devout Jewish people and knew the laws and wanted to follow the laws of the Jewish tradition, took their little baby son to the temple to be circumcised and dedicated. And there they encountered a man named Simeon. And so when we continue the Christmas story today in our Bibles, we're going to hear about Simeon and how God led him. We're going to be reading from Luke uh, 22, verses 22 through 35. (coughs) When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. Before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And so, guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too." This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Isn't this exactly what God wants, does so often to get our attention? He put Simeon in this place just as he had put that patient and me in the same place to let us know what's really important. So often during my life, I've been convicted by the Holy Spirit through unexpected ways, and I bet you have too. As we prepare to greet a new year, I wonder, where is the Holy Spirit going to show up for you? and for me. Will we recognize it when it comes? And will we respond in a way that pleases God? This story of Jesus' birth that we read each year moves quickly past those shepherds and those wise men and into the temple. The Gospels, of all the Gospels, only Luke records this story. Now, There are many things that we have read about how devout Mary and Joseph were. And so to them, this was no big deal. This was just part of what they did to um, follow the law of, um, of the people of Israel. In the scripture we just read, what it tells us is that Simeon was filled with the Holy Spirit, that he expected the Holy Spirit to show up, and that he was led by the Spirit, to the temple on that precise day and hour. There's a book by um, Eugene Peterson who wrote the Message version of the Bible, and it's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Simeon was one of those people who didn't just go through the motions in his spiritual life, and he wasn't accidentally placed anywhere. He had been trained all his life in all of the teachings of the Jewish faith, for just that moment. And isn't it interesting that Simeon knew exactly who he was looking at when he saw that baby Jesus? One of the commentators said, who would know that the coo's of a baby would be signaling the cross? And yet Simeon knew. Who hears the coos of a baby and conjures up a cross and a crown of thorns? He was prepared, Simeon was, by a lifetime of obedience in the same direction. So he not only was filled and expected the Holy Spirit, but he knew that God was leading him. A few weeks ago, somebody had given my sister a Christmas um, gift of a book of church signs I don't know how many of you have gone through <laughs> the countryside sometimes and seen some pretty amazing things on church signs that look funny, but they make you think. One of my favorites is um, be a fisherman for God. You catch him, he'll clean them." I really like that one. But the one that stuck out at me uh, with this uh, particular um, scripture, if God is your co-pilot, move over. I liked that one. God wasn't Simeon's co-pilot, and he shouldn't be our co-pilot either. God proves his ownership of us when he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Paul in his letter to the Galatians put it this way, God sent his son in order to redeem us and he adopted us, adopted us as God's children. And then he sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts. Have you noticed something about people you feel are spirit-filled? There's this quiet, contemplative fellowship with God that undergirds their ability to recognize God's working in the world. Some kind of mysterious communication must be going on between God and them. It's not that their lives are free from tragedy nor that they don't grieve over losses or weep at injustices. But there's a confidence in people who are spirit-filled, a confidence that God still moves stones and will be their constant companion and guide through peril and peace. They're branded, much like a, a rancher might brand his flock. Oswald Chambers put it this way, God has stamped on the foreheads of his children, mine. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That God has stamped on our foreheads, mine. God's adopted children know that they're loved with a love that caused God to send that little baby Jesus so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's adopted children, my friends, that's you. Simeon was filled with the Holy Spirit, expected it to show up, and every place he went was not an accident. It wasn't an accident that he was in the temple that day. And my friends, in the coming year, I believe that God will not lead you by accident into places that he wants you to go. Many times during my life, coincidences have led me to the place where God wanted me to be. It was over 15 years ago now, I guess, that uh, my sister, who was a director of nursing at Glen Eyre Retirement Community, called me to let me know that their social worker, who I had known when I worked with her in mental health, had had a very tragic car accident, and that it was going to be um, months before she could return to work. Well, as God would have it, our son had just come to work with us in our small business. Otherwise, I would not have had any extra time. But because that had just happened and because I knew this person, I said to my sister, well, maybe I could come and work in her place until she gets back. So I did. And do you know that that is where I met the first chaplain that I've ever known and that God led me with watching her into wanting to go to Divinity School? And years later, when I was just sitting in a doctor's office, and one of the employees began to talk to me and learned that I was a pastor, and she said, Do you ever preach at other churches? And I said, Occasionally. And she said, Well, I want you to meet our preacher, because she has a hard time finding someone to preach when she goes out of town. So I did, and I preached there a few times. And then a few months later, there was a... a, um, a need for an interim pastor in that church. And so I was asked to be that a doctor's office sitting in a doctor's office. That opportunity came and it was that opportunity that led me a few years ago to come to Tim when we were in such a transition time and say to him, how about I come and just help you out a little bit until things settle down. (laughs) Here I am. You know what? Talk about um, coincidences and accidents. My husband and I met in a wedding. He was an usher and I was a bridesmaid. In a wedding that neither one of us wanted to go to, nor could we afford to go to, and I hardly even knew the bride. And yet, for some reason, I went. That was 49 years ago. (laughs) Be careful. So, my friends, one way that we want to begin the journey in this congregation into what God might lead us into in this coming year is something that John Wesley did as a Methodist minister way back over 250 years ago. It has its roots in the Puritan faith from even the 1600s. John Wesley described what he called a covenant service as a time of remarkable blessing in which many mourned before God and many were comforted when he introduced it to a congregation on New Year's Day way back in 1775 in London. John Wesley would gather his church together on New Year's Day for a lengthy service of about three hours or more, and it often started on New Year's Eve, and it involved scriptures and prayers and hymns, many of which were designed for that night, And he called it a watch night service. At the heart of that service is the covenant prayer. You're going to find it um, in your bulletins or as a handout on a little white card that looks like this, and the back of it is plain. It's going to be on the screen in a few minutes. It comes from our United Methodist Book of Worship, which gives us resources for worship. But, you know, John Wesley kind of lived in a different time, and so some of his wording of that was very popular in that time, but not so much now. So I took the um, privilege of kind of changing it just a little bit, not to change the thoughts, but to make the words maybe a little bit more understandable for us. I want you to know that these cards are my gift to you today because John Wesley, to John Wesley it was important that this not only be something that was read in a service, but that it be something that the people committed themselves to for the entire year. And he recommended that it be not only heard, but read, not only read, but written, not only written, but signed. And so the back is plain because I hope that as you go home today and begin to think about what God might have in store for you for this new year, that you will read this and maybe even want to sign the back as your covenant with God for the coming year. It will help you remember whose you are and whom you serve. And I encourage you to not only look for the Holy Spirit, but to expect him to show up and to be ready to do whatever that Holy Spirit challenges you to do. There's a little invitation that comes before we um, read the covenant in John Wesley's covenant service, and I'd like to read it to you now. Commit yourselves to Christ as his servants. Give yourselves to him that you may belong to him. Christ has many services to be done. Some are more easy and honorable. Others are more difficult and disgraceful. Some are suitable to our inclinations and interests. Others are contrary to both. In some, we may please Christ and ourselves, but then there are other works where we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. It is necessary, therefore, that we consider what it means to be a servant of Christ. Let us go, therefore, to Christ and pray that Christ lead us, and that we might give ourselves up to Christ's will in all things. Be satisfied, then, that Christ will reveal to you your place and work. And I invite you to stand now with your little cards and look on the screen. And let us together recite this covenant, make this covenant with God. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or laid low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely give myself to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are mine, and I am yours. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be confirmed with you in heaven. Amen. You may be seated. My friends, there is no greater joy in life than to be in line with God's will for you. And I, for one, am very excited about what that's going to look like for you. It's not only service, but it is service. It's those day to day encounters with people you least expect to be impacted by or impact yourself. It's that opportunity that we have that requires our strength and our gut to share the love and the story of Jesus Christ with others who so desperately need it. And I, for one, expect great things to come from your relationship with Jesus Christ this year. Amen.